turn with me to the letter that James, the Apostle James wrote. James chapter 5, and in a moment or two we'll be looking in verses 7 through 12. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. With everything that we seeing unfold before us today, beginning right here in the United States of America, how morally we see our culture unraveling, how clearly we can see the pockets of corruption uh, that is in our own government. Not all, praise the Lord, but the pockets of corruption are beginning to become very clear to us uh, who they are and what their agenda is. And when we consider how methodically, think about this, how methodically we see our constitutional republic being dismantled, subtly dismantled, slowly taking away our liberties. When we see these things happening as followers of Christ, we have to start asking the question, how shall we then live? And then you add to that the reality of what we see happening across the world. Beginning, of course, with Russia's attack on Ukraine and China's support of Russia so that they can achieve their own global goals. We see Iran getting stronger and developing more nuclear power capabilities. And then we begin to see also the reality that you know, Israel became a nation. There was the rebirth of Israel. That has become the catalyst behind literally everything that is taking place. And then we have to ask ourselves, when we see this happening, how should we then live? Let me just give you this passage out of Amos just for a moment. Amos, just keep your place there, James. But in, in Amos chapter 9 and in, in the last verses really of uh, this particular prophecy. I want, you, I want you to notice exactly uh, what the Lord says uh, about Israel. He says in Amos chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, he says, also, this is the Lord speaking through the prophet, he says, also, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will build, they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. And in verse 15, listen carefully what he says. God says, I will also plant them on their land and they will not again be rooted out from their land which I have given them, says the Lord our God. And we have seen this unfold in our lifetime. So when I look at scripture and I look at prophecy, I begin to realize a couple of things that are taking place. One is that every specific nation that is scripturally noted to be a part, a significant part of the events of the latter days are now in place and have power. Not only that, is, is they not only have, are in place and have power, all it's going to take is one leader making the wrong decision and there's going to be a domino effect that's going to move us in that direction. And so we see this uh, in our lives today. For the first time in history, all of these specific countries are in place, in power, and ready to be 
use them, the Lord, when He says so, uh, to be able to move us in that direction. And then I see not only that the specific countries that are all in place, but I also see the spiritual culture of what is taking place. When you really look at what is happening around the world, what you see is this world is ready for the strong delusion. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but Paul, in his letter to the Christians in, in Thessalonica, his second letter talks about a strong delusion that will fall upon this world as we enter into, and, and these events are ready to unfold concerning the latter days. And Paul kind of describes that for us, what, what, what we need to be looking for in 2 Timothy. So let me just remind you of that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, if you'll notice with me uh, the verses that are given to us, chapter 4 rather, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 and 4, he says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, they don't want to hear the word. They will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers and according to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. And this is something that, is, that we see happening, not just in the United States of America, it's quite evident here, but also around the world. People do not want to hear the truth. Uh, people uh, want to, someone to tell them what they want to hear so they can live their life, their way, no thank you God. And so we see not only specific countries that the scriptures noted are in place and have the power to be used of the Lord when he says time, the time is now. And we have a spiritual culture in this world that is ready for the strong delusion. And so when we look at these realities and knowing that we're followers of Christ and knowing that with that also comes persecution because we're going to be under more and more pressure. And as that pressure comes, the question is, how are we supposed to live in the midst of that? How shall we then live? So that's the question I want to try to answer this morning based upon what James teaches us in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. So let's look at this together and let me just point out four things that James teaches here about how we should live. Listen, I'm talking as followers of Christ. Here we are, we're in uh, an incredible time, a time that man has not known in history, a time where there's no other prophecy left to be fulfilled until we start moving into these latter events that ultimately comes to the return of the Lord how then should we be living out, taking in consideration, listen to me carefully, our testimony, the testimony of our faith, listen, and the test that we're going to face. So let's look at this together. I want to draw your attention to four things. First of all, look up. First thing he teaches us is to look up and be courageous. James chapter 5, verse 7. Let me begin with the first statement that he gives to us. He says, therefore, okay, he's drawing a conclusion here. He says, therefore, be patient, brethren, 
until the coming of the Lord. Be patient. Key word, obviously, to be patient. Some of you have a translation that uses the word long-suffering, all right? Another way to maybe word that is to say, instead of having a short fuse, you need to have a long fuse, okay? In other words, that, that you, need to, you need to be able to respond correctly because your testimony is at stake, the testimony of your faith, and how you're going to handle the test that is coming. Now, the focus here is the secular world, as you are responding to the secular world. And so he's talking here about the fact that we need to be patient. We need to be long-suffering. We need to have a long fuse instead of a short fuse. Now, that's easier said than done. Do I have a witness on that? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the guy driving down the interstate and his car stalled. And no matter what he did, he could not get his star his car to, to start again. And so, you know, the traffic was backing up and everybody was being kind of nice except for one dude who was in a pickup truck and he just kept mashing the horn, you know, just kept blowing the horn, blowing the horn. And so finally the guy that had the car that stalled went back to the guy in the truck. He said, sir, I am sorry. Uh, my car has stalled and I cannot get it started. So if you would, would you go and work on my car, and I'll sit in the truck and blow your horn for you. That's the way we want to respond, right? <laughs> now, he says, I have a long fuse. Can I word it this way? Why don't you listen carefully to this? He says, you've got to have the inner strength to keep your spirit in check. Let me repeat that. What you need is inner strength to keep your spirit in check. Why? Your testimony is at stake. How you handle the test that is coming before this secular world about your relationship with Christ, about your love for Jesus, what it means to have a, a literal, loving, living relationship with the Most High God. All of that is at stake. And so what you need is the strength to keep your spirit in check. I want you to look with me in 1 Peter for just a moment. It's just to the right of James. 1 Peter chapter 2. And here the apostle Peter says Christ has given us the example of what he's talking about. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning in verse 21. Peter writes this. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ has suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So he's saying, look, you need, Christ has set the example. He's laid it out there for you. He mentions in verse 22 that Christ has never committed a sin. There is no deceit found in his mouth. And then he says this in verse 23. And while being reviled, I mean, he's taken the heat being verbally attacked. He says, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. He kept his spirit in check. While suffering, being persecuted, and we know what suffering he went to, he uttered no threats. But watch this last phrase. Don't miss it. He kept entrusting himself to him, meaning the eternal God and Father, to him who judges 
righteously. So here's what he's trying to get across. Peter James is trying to say this. As a follower of Christ, we need to, I, we need to have that inner strength, that ability really through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, all right, to keep our spirit in check. We may be verbally attacked. We may be physically attacked. We may be threatened. Our families could be threatened. There are those in, in, in this congregation right now that I know I have faced that type of a threat. Family being threatened, businesses being threatened because of their stand on truth and to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and to seek to glorify his name. Right here among us are those who've had to deal with that and are probably dealing with it even now, right now in their lives. And so he says you've got to have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to keep that keep your spirit in check so you keep your testimony strong and you can, you can uh, be successful, be victorious in the test that you face because, listen carefully, you put it all in the hands of the Lord. On, uh, on Wednesdays, we've been doing a study, I mean Sunday nights with the men, we've been doing a study called Thriving in Babylon. Talking about Daniel, how did he thrive in the midst of the most wicked of the most wicked of nations. And one of the things we learn about Daniel and his three friends, you may have heard of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is that they put their faith in the one who was overseeing, who was in charge. God was one ultimately in charge. So whatever they did, they would do what was right and leave all the consequences to him. And that's what they're saying here. How do you keep your inner spirit uh, in check when you're being verbally attacked, physically attacked, you're facing pressure, you're facing persecution. He says, you, you put your trust in the Lord, the righteous judge, and let him handle all the consequences. All the consequences. So the scripture is really clear. Now he doesn't stop here in verse 7 talking about look up and be courageous. He also, in verse 8, says this. So look at it with me. James chapter 5, verse 8. He said, well, latter part of verse 7. Let me give this to you. It says, the farmer waits. He gives an illustration here. Now, I think most of you can, can wrap your minds easily around this. He says, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late Rain. So let me tell you what the culture was then. They were dependent on early rains, which happens in October and November, to be able to come and soften the soil. They would, they would plow and they would sow the seed, waiting for that seed to germinate. And then they'd get the latter rain, which would come in April and May, and that would help with the nourishment, obviously, of the plants so they have a full harvest. Now here's the point of the illustration. The farmer has no control over any of that. Farmer can't decide when it's going to rain or how much it's going to rain. Will the early rains come? And will it be sufficient enough to soften the soil? Will the latter rains come? Now, they just have to do what, is, what they needed to do, do their part, and leave the rest of it in the hands of one who is ultimately in charge. 
And he says, this is the example that you ought to be following. And adds in verse 8 then this. James chapter 5, verse 8. He says, you too be patient. Follow this example. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. So he's talking about how do we approach life? How do we then, how then should we live knowing that the Lord could come at any time? There's nothing left to fulfill prophetically prior to his coming, but we're waiting for the domino effect to start in terms of moving into those events of the last days. And so how should we then live? He says, well, you need to be patient just like the farmer. You need to have that inner strength, that ability to keep your spirit in check. In fact, he says, you need to establish, listen to that again. He says, establish uh, your hearts. That means to be totally determined. But that's the way you're going to live your life. Unwavering that you want to protect your testimony before the secular world. You want to be victorious in the test. And so in the power of the Holy Spirit, are you listening? Say amen. In the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in you as a follower of Christ. You're going to keep your spirit in check, leave everything else into the hands of the righteous judge. Because he's the only righteous judge there is. So he says, first of all, how should we live? Look up and be courageous. Secondly, though, as we look further into this, we are told and instructed to look in and be cleansed. Now, when I read this verse, verse 9, it's going to sound on the surface that is out of place. That maybe it doesn't fit the context, but the truth of the matter is a powerful word, and you'll see that his focus is still on that inner spirit, keeping that inner spirit in check. But his focus has changed from the secular world, now with the saints. How do we deal with one another in life, in the body of Christ, as we wait for the coming of the Lord? So here's what he says. Do not complain, brethren, against one another. Maybe I need to read that one again. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge, reference back to the righteous judge, is standing right at the door. He could come at any moment. Now, Key word here is the word complain. Some of your translations has the word grumble. You know, when you, when you, when you study the book of Exodus and the children of Israel and, and God leading them out of Egyptian bondage into the promised land, uh, the Lord at times was incredibly frustrated. In fact, it says he was angry at the children of Israel. What was the number one thing that angered God, they grumbled all the time. They complained all the time. But the uniqueness of this word, I want, I want you to get this, listen carefully, is not the grumbling we're talking about in terms of verbalizing our complaints, 
verbalizing our grumblings. No, the word itself focuses in on what's going on on the inside. Those feelings we're harboring, but we're not expressing. What kind of feelings are those? It's called resentment. It's called bitterness. It's called jealousy. For whatever reason, those things exist in our hearts toward other brothers and sisters in Christ. And he is saying, look, not just in terms of the secular world do you need in the power of the Holy Spirit to keep your spirit in check. He is saying that when it comes to the saints, when it comes to brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to, uh, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, keep our spirit in check and make sure, listen, listen, make sure we're cleansed of any bitterness or resentment. Listen to what James says just prior to this in chapter 4. We're in chapter 5, but in chapter 4, listen to what James says. He's talking about the same thing beginning in verse 11. James says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law, but if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver, that's the Lord, and judge, that's the Lord, and the one who is able to save and destroy. But then he asked this question, but who are you who judges your neighbor? Can I word it this way? Who do you think you are? That's what he's saying. Who do you think you are? In other words, he said, are, are you trying to take the place of the true judge? The only true righteous judge? As though, as though you always say the right thing? As though you always do the right thing yourself? as though you always respond in the right way in every situation in your life? Do I have a witness from all of us here this morning? We don't always say the right thing. Do I have a witness on that? No, 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 no. Do I have a witness on that? Okay, all right. Do we always, we don't always do the right thing. Do I have a witness on that? All right, better than that. Do we always respond the right way to things in life? No. So James is saying, well, who do you think you are? There's only one who always has always said the right thing, (laughs) always done the right thing, always will do the right thing, and will always respond. That's the only true righteous judge, and that's the Lord Jesus himself. And so he is saying that who do you think you are? To try to play his role in other people's lives. Let me put it this way. Because he emphasizes in this verse, you know, the real judge, the only true righteousness, he's just at the door. He could come at any moment. Now think about it. The first time you look into the eyes of Jesus, think about it, women. 
Do you want to look into his loving, gracious, merciful, forgiving, incredible eyes with a heart filled with resentment, bitterness, and jealousy toward other people he laid his life down for? No. Of course not. He said, get that out. Get that out. Look in and be cleansed. Remove that stuff. That's why I give a lot of times in counseling, and I've shared it in a lot of different messages, Psalms 139. May I remind you of that? Write this reference down if you don't have it. But Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24, and just make it a part of your walk. By the way, listen to me. Whenever I've had, look, I've been there, done this. I don't, I'm not talking like I've never struggled with this in my life. I have, I've had to deal with resentment in my life and bitterness and jealousy, all of those things. And every time it undermines my walk with the Lord, my witness for the Lord, my work for the Lord, and especially my worship of the Lord my God. So I want to get that junk out. I want to be cleansed. So Psalms 139, Psalm of David, love these two verses. Use them sincerely. Let God cleanse you. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Know the truth of my inner spirit. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. How shall we then live? We look up. Be courageous. Look in, be cleansed. Look back and be confident. James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. He writes, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience. Exactly what we're talking about. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings and the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Now because of time, I'm just going to cut to the chase. What's he talking about? He said, just look back at every example given to you in the Word. He mentions the prophets and he mentions Job. The prophets were persecuted. By whom? The people of God. Why? Because they spoke truth and they lived truth. They proclaimed truth. And because they were sold out to Jehovah God, they weren't just playing the game. They were sold out to Yahweh. Then they were ultimately persecuted and they were pressured. They suffered. They were verbally attacked. Some of them were physically attacked. And think about what Job went through. I mean, he lost everything he had because of this conversation between the Lord God Almighty and Satan about his life. Why? Because he was living a righteous life. He was living sold out. And so there was this conversation, and Job ended up losing everything he had. And in essence, even his wife in this sense, because things had gotten so bad, she said, just curse God and die. Now, was it because the prophets and Job did something wrong? No. 
is because they were doing it right. They weren't playing the game. They were sold out to their faith and their trust and their obedience to the Lord. And as a result, they were persecuted. And they suffered. But here's what we also, and this is why he draws their attention particularly to Job. All of them have received incredible and will receive incredible rewards in heaven. But Job even got it back here on this earth. Scripture tells us that because he remained, he had questions. Read it. He had a lot of questions, Lord. What's going on here? But he never wavered. And at the end of his life, the Lord doubled his blessings of what he had had before. Because he was able to keep his inner spirit in check even when he had questions trying to understand what was going on. So, look up that you can be courageous. Look in, be cleansed. Look back, be confident. And then the last one is where I want to focus my, the rest of my thoughts on is look forward and be consistent. Look forward and be consistent. It's interesting what he says here. Verse 12, he says, but above all, underline that. Top of the list, top priority, preeminent of your life. As an, he says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes. Your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. And that day and time, uh, swearing, not in terms of uh, curse words or things of that nature, but just making an oath was, was a prominent part of the culture. Didn't have contracts. You know, that everybody signs, you know, things of that nature. It was your word. So you made an oath. But it had gotten to the point, man corrupts everything. I just hate it. But you know that's true. We get a hold of something, we're going to mess it up. And so making an oath had come to that point where it's kind of like children today. You know, and, and some of you maybe growing up have used this phrase, you know, crush my heart, hope to die. How many, how many familiar with that phrase? Just see how many millennials we really have in here. <laughs> All right. But kids do that with their fingers crossed behind their back, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, y'all know what I'm saying. Y'all know what I'm talking about. All right. That's the way it was. In other words, it meant nothing. It meant nothing. Man's word meant nothing. So here's what he's teaching. Listen to that. Let me give you what Jesus said to back this up. Matthew chapter 5, look at there with me. Verses 34 through 37. Jesus said, But I say to you, make no oath at all. 
make no oath at all. Either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. It just happens naturally. Do I have a witness in that? Some of you got it. Okay. But let your statement be yes, yes, no, no. Watch this. Anything beyond these is of evil. What's he talking about? He's talking about our spiritual integrity, folks. What he's talking about. I'm being consistent, not perfect, but being consistent and being faithful in our walk, in our witness, our work, and our worship. So that when I say yes, it is as good as any contract that can be written and signed. People see the consistency of your walk, your witness, your work, your worship of the Lord Jesus. That when you say yes, that's all they need. When you say yes, they know that what you just said yes to is like a sign sealed and delivered. When you say no, they get it. Sign sealed, delivered. In other words... They don't need a contract. Now, I know we live in a world where everything is contract. I get that. But it's talking about our spiritual integrity. As we wait for the coming of our Lord, this is what this whole passage is about. How should we then live? We look up to gain the strength to be courageous. We look in to make sure we're clean. We look back to build confidence, our faith, our trust in God that he's going to be taking care of us. And we look forward being consistent, making sure that our spiritual integrity is the strongest any contract of any man that is written and signed. All we have to do is say yes. They don't need anything else. That's what it's about. That's how we should be living. See, everything that is taking place worldwide, the specific countries in place with power, just one wrong move and the domino effects start. Seeing the spiritual culture we're living in, right, just right for that strong delusion that for everybody who has rejected Christ to come, this is how we should live. And so I, I want us to close. We haven't done this in a long time. But I want us to do it this morning. I feel very strongly about this. I want to ask you to be in a spirit of prayer, but I don't want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to just be in a spirit of prayer to ask yourself this question. What about my spiritual integrity right now? Among, within my family, among my friends, my fellow workers, 
What do I need to do to be consistent? 